Welcome to the Details of Life. I'm your host, Marcus Wilson, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for coming in and tuning with me today. I have a very special episode for you guys. We have Missouri Tigers head coach, Conzo Martin. Any of you guys that know Coach Martin know that he's a man of very high integrity, man of character, uses basketball as a vessel to really teach kids life lessons and be a better man in society upon graduation. And so someone had reached out to me and said, Marcus, you really need to get Coach, coach Martin on. I said, well, of course I do. But when I got in touch with him, he kind of surprised me when he said, you know, Marcus, there's normally I would talk basketball with you. I love what you're doing on the podcast, but there's some bigger things going on in the world I want to talk about all the social and racial unrest and everything going on. So I really don't want to talk about basketball. I want to talk about life. Caught me off guard, but I was pleasantly surprised. And so I'm really excited to talk to him about that. You know, I will get, I will preface that we recorded this a couple of days ago before the Rayshard Brooks murder. But obviously, this topic is still relevant. And we talked about a lot of things. You know, I said, you know, how are you talking to your team about this? You know, and when you give so much energy to others, how do you go home and, and recharge and be... That, that, that same leader the next day. A lot of us go through that. And so I think that we hit on some very important things. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, let's go ahead and tune in with Mizzou head coach, Kazo Martin. Like I just prefaced, ladies and gentlemen, today I have Missouri head coach, Coach Kazo Martin. How you doing, Coach? I'm fine, man. How you doing? Man, thank you for taking the time to come with us today. And this is a little bit different. You know, normally I'm talking basketball and how you build a culture in an organization and, uh, you know, expectations for next year. But, you know, when we talk, like you said before, you said, man, you know, you get to do clinics all the time. So this is just a different time and this is a different topic. And so I appreciate you coming on and talking about this. And so before we get into some of those questions, you know, I've heard you speak at the coaches luncheon that we held in St. Louis a couple Years ago, I've heard you speak at multiple events, and it always just resonates, you know, that you're a coach of character and integrity. You know, you grew up in East St. Louis, had probably had many excuses and, and, and opportunities to fail, but here you are a leader of men that put character and integrity first. So where did you get that? Who, who helped instill that character and integrity in you to be the man that you are? Well, obviously, you know, first and foremost, I don't say this just to say it, of course, it's God, but I, I didn't know that growing up. I, I didn't really develop a true relationship with Christ until maybe um, my, my junior, my, going to my senior year of college when I really developed a relationship and I had some bumps in the road after that. And then probably the last 12 or 13 years, I think I've been consistent. I've been strong. And outside of that, I would say my mom, you know, just, just raised me. But, but again, I was, my grandmother uh, was a wonderful lady. She lived at I'm not mistaken to be 103 years old, but a strong woman of faith. I mean, strong. Had 14 kids, so she was a powerful, powerful woman. And then, you know, my mom, my mom did a tremendous job raising us. What she did a great job of was extending love in us. A lot of love, you know, you hear it all the time. It's like, you know, you get to an age with mama, you know, why you kiss me in front of my friends and all that. But, but she 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 exuded a lot of love. But what she also did, she really forced us as, as young kids to dream. Don't be afraid to dream. She would take us, you probably heard me say this before, she would take us to home shows, those dream homes in St. Louis and outside of St. Louis areas. Uh, we would have to take the bus from East St. Louis to St. Louis. And it was, a, it was an altar side of bus line. I don't know if they still have it, altar side of bus line. We would always take that. And we would go into these dream homes and we, we'd lay on the bed like that was our place. It was just a good time, you know, and we, right. she would always talk about just dream big, you know, don't lose faith, you know, believe. Now, 
we, we didn't necessarily go to church every Sunday and she wasn't necessarily what you would consider a spiritual woman, but she's a good woman, you know, just the right things. She believed in God and just talking the right things. And then she always just said, you know, try to be grateful for what you have, you know, even though you might not have a lot, you be grateful for what you have. And, and I'll say this uh, as we move forward, we had humble beginnings, bro, but we weren't poor. You know, we always said it in, in that area, we were poor. We weren't poor. I've been around the world. I know what poor looks like. Right, so we right. weren't poor by any stretch. And my mom, she worked, essential working jobs and she did a great job providing for us yes yeah man that's 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 important and i wanted to start off with that because you know it's hard to get to this point in life where you're a leader without someone yes. mentoring you along the way so man getting getting to you know some of these social <clears throat> issues you know i i wanted to talk to you there's been a change there's been a shift it feels like there's more and more people speaking up right but i wanted to ask you how how are you processing and everything because for me personally when i saw the death of Ahmaud Arbery and then heard about Breonna Taylor and then the Amy Cooper call where she called on the Harvard grad who was bird watching. And then, you know, obviously here with George Floyd, I think those things back to back to back is what really started resonating with people. And for me personally, I have a 13 year old son. We were just talking about that. And so two times in three weeks, I had to have a conversation with him where he's like, man, why did they kill that black dude in the middle of the street? Speaking of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. Right. So that's been hard for me. So, what as you saw these things happening you know what what were you thinking and, and like how are you processing all of this well it was it was uh i mean I, i'll be 49 in september god willing so so i wasn't surprised because this this has been happening and i'll, I'll kind of go back when i was in california and i was at cal berkeley as the head coach and i saw it up close with uh colin kaepernick because i was out there and, and their facility is probably 45 minutes to an hour from that campus and i was up close and if there was time, that's kind of the mecca of protest, so to speak. I think maybe the first college protest was on Cal Berkeley's campus. But, you know, uh, sad to say, I think more than anything, self-preservation took over. You have to provide for your family. You, you, you want to get out there, but, man, I, I still have a family. And, and for me, I'm not sure anybody else operates, but it's not just me. I, I have nephews and nieces. Not that my their parents can't provide, but, you know, assisting, helping them go to college. Whatever it is, that's what you do as a family. Or even people that are not biological family members or by blood, but you're still helping assist any way you can. So, so that took over. And when this happened, uh, and we had an incident maybe when I first, the year I first got here, I can't remember who, sad to say, it's been so many, and that, that, that's hard to just say it itself. But and I just said, I, I can't go anymore. And I, and I thank God, and, I, and I'm saying this with respect when I say this, I thank God for having the COVID virus from this standpoint. It allowed time to stop. Normally, when these things have taken place, we were able to say, okay, there's a sporting event two days later, a Super Bowl, a baseball game, a basketball. We can't, there's nothing there, so we have to face this head on. We have to deal with it. That incident, the whole world watched that knee. Here's one guy that took a knee for injustice. Here's a guy that took a knee and took a life. So you watched it up close in the whole world, so time stopped. And there was no tomorrow to say, I can brush this under the rug and I go. We had to face the head on. And I think the great thing where you're starting to see the shift in our country, um, everybody is coming together. So you see all walks of life, all ages out protesting. Now in the midst of a COVID virus, we want to stand together for injustice. That is a beautiful thing. 100%, man. You, I, you, I, I never looked at it like that where you're right, man. People weren't as busy. We, we might've been in the NBA playoffs right now, right? And it would've just been one other thing uh, just moving along. So, man, that, that, that's, that's a good point. 
man, uh, another thing is I used to coach, I still use basketball as a vessel to get kids into the YMCA, right? You get them in there and then start showing them mentors or other STEM or other things. And you are one of the best at using basketball as a vessel to teach men, teach young men how to become men, teach them discipline, teach them hard work, teach them how to teamwork. These things that have been happening lately, man, these are some hard life lessons to learn. So what are, how, what are you talking about to your team through this? Or have they had any questions and, you know, like, cause I know you're a mentor. So like, how are you using this to teach a life lesson to some of your, some of your, uh, your players? Well, fortunately for us, we, we talk about this stuff all the time. In, in our summer months as a team, we have what we call real talk sessions. And those are at least twice a month, twice, yeah, twice in a month, real talk sessions. And we talk about everything, this type of stuff, we, everything, anything you can think of, they think of, we talk about it. And rarely if I'm ever in those sessions, because if you're, if you're coaching that, you're, and you're in that session, you're one of the guys. This is not coach. So I've always removed myself. Now, there have been several times over the year they, they'll, they'll call me in to be on something because it's something real of my viewpoint. But in most cases, whatever it is, we, we have one of our assistant coaches been running for years. He cannot report nothing back to me. That's, that's their session. If they talk about me, whatever, whatever they want to do. But, all, but it's mostly life stuff. So we've always done that. Now we had we had the chief chief of police on uh, here in Columbia. And I thought he did a tremendous job, and it was uh it was it was tough because I didn't tell the guys he was coming on. I I, I have a relationship where I've talked to him, so when he got on, you know you you pop in on the Zoom and all of a sudden you look and see oh man what was this you know just right. so the guys were kind of they were quiet you know some guys kind of reserved like he's already angry stuff going on. And he did a tremendous job, uh, Chief Jones, of just saying, hey, man, I feel you. I understand it. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I'll tell you the truth. You might not want to hear what I have to say. Uh, I'm saddened by it. We, 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 we work extremely hard as police officers, men of law enforcement, do the right things. This hurts us. This kind of sets us back. We'll continue to do right. And he, and, and he did such a great job. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I had two guys after that Zoom call, my players at talked about when they're done playing ball to be police officers because he did such a great job, but really because he, he let his guard down. And what happened was when it was over, and that was a long, we normally try to go 30, maybe 40 minutes max on a Zoom call. That was probably an hour plus. But when it was over, I even felt the sense. Now, I knew him, but I felt the sense that he was a father and a husband as opposed to a police officer. And my point is, I respect, I, I respect law enforcement a great deal, but my point in saying that is that position has to be a part of the community. He just so happened to be a police officer. But if, if in the community they look at a police officer as a police officer, I think that's an issue. Yep. They have to see as one of the community people, and that's important. Yep. No, you're right, because we, you, we dehumanize it. He, he, we forget that he, he got a family to go home to yeah. as well. That's, that's a good point. Now, another thing that I, I, that's been big, I see a lot of companies coming out talking about Black Lives Matter, some companies, don't want to say it because they think it's a political organization or whatnot. For me, when I say Black Lives Matter, I can't speak. I know a lot of times people ask me, what do you think? And I always say, I can't speak for the entire Black population. I, I'm just talking about me, right? When I say it, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not affiliated with any particular group. I want racial equity, police brutality to stop, and if there is something done wrong, uh, that people are held accountable. That, that, that's essentially what I mean when I say Black Lives Matter. So what, what does that mean to you when, when you say Black Lives Matter or when you hear that? 
Well, uh, I'll kind of give you context, and I might be all over the place, but hopefully I get to that bottom line. I think when you say uh, Black Lives Matter, and I think for people that don't understand it, when you have a diverse team from an administrative standpoint, if you're a company or organization, if you have a diverse team, then you have people in your organization that can explain it to you. But if it's your first time trying to figure out what that's a problem, that means you don't currently have a diverse team to understand that because that should already be in and around your office. Now, what happens is when people say Black Lives Matter, I think what they're saying respectfully that this police brutality that seems like it's on one race, uh, this is not consistent with all races. It's not consistent when you already, as a population, only make up 13% of this country. Those numbers are astounding how this continues to happen. So they're not saying other races doesn't matter, but they're saying these lives do matter. I mean, right. we, we, it's, it's one thing to fight for equality, but now it's almost to the point where just leave, let us matter. You know, just right. I mean, and like, you, like you're less than. I mean, and, and that's sad. So now when I say that, and I respect when people even say all lives matter. And what I mean by that is, okay, if all lives matter, and if they truly matter, then you should be on the front lines as well. So, so when, that, when we protest, that means the whole country protests at the same time, yeah. if they all matter. So it's one thing to sit on a pedestal, sit in your home and say, well, all lives matter. But if you're on the front lines, then they all matter. So I think we, we have to be careful with that. And it, it's, 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 it's hard because we have such a divide, but I think in order for us to get to that, there's two things that I think, because you can talk about equality, you can talk about all these things, but until we get a, because I, I cannot know about another race, but, but I know I have a good heart. So my heart is open to learn. I don't have hate in my heart, so my heart is open to learn. But the other part I think that we need, that we've struggled with for years, we don't have div diversity in our groups, in our tables, in our committees, in our boardrooms. That's why we have these issues. We need to have diversity in all walks of life. I think we can solve a lot of these problems. One of the things that I'm working on at the organization I'm with uh, just to try to increase the diversity. And another thing where I wanted to hit on about the accountability when, you know, I, just, I heard a stat the other day that only 2% of officers who uh, commit p police brutality are actually charged. So that, that's, that's where the accountability, we want it consistent. Not, you know, not saying that all cops are bad or all, of course not, but we just want consistent um, accountability uh, when, it, when it happens to black lives. Um, another thing, you know, we live in a microwave society. I mean, Two weeks ago, we was hearing about murder hornets. I ain't heard nothing about murder hornets in two weeks. You know, sometimes things come and go, right? We got a lot of emotion, a lot of people being involved in this, but, you know, I just don't want it to end. Like, so after some of the protests end and we sit around and we're like, well, what do we do next? What are some of the things, you know, I know you're not a, a social worker or anything like that, but what are some of the things that you think uh, we could do, white and black, or that you might tell your your kids to continue doing to keep moving this needle forward? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is educate. You, you have to educate what I mean, and educate, not necessarily in school starting from the first grade, but educate people to understanding the importance of voting. It's very important. So what I tell our players, you vote for whoever you think the best candidate is. So taking time to vote and understanding, understanding the community in which it operates, who's the decision makers, and, and, and what we have to be better at, we have to be better at uh, rewarding and also the consequences. And what I mean by that, you reward the best candidate, whatever race they are. 
but in the consequences have to be the same. You can't have this one race, this minority race, uh, two crimes, this minority race commits a crime, this person 20 years old, doing 20 years in prison, this person doing two years probation, same crime, but different race. So we have to be consistent. And so I think more than anything, what I've learned in these past, you know, really seven weeks is studying the justice system, really learning even the university policies, looking at the policies. I, I, I would say right now in the last seven weeks, I've started learning. I, I think I'm maybe six years old right now in my learnings. I'm at the infant stage of really learning a lot about stuff that I took for granted. Yeah. And I think it's a beautiful thing when you open your mind, you're willing to learn, but we have to be fair in, when we make decisions, like, for example, you go in the courtroom, uh, you, you like to have it where your jury is a diverse jury. Uh, and then when you try the case, you try the case based on what the paper says. Don't even bring the victims in, just try the case. Well, I know that's hard to do because sometimes you tip them off on information, but we have to be better at that as well because we're making decisions based on how somebody looking all of a sudden, whoa. Then you got a case a year later, very similar, but it's different. And, and I think the thing that is, that is hard when you're dealing with prosecuting attorneys, people that's making these decisions, judges that are making these decisions, when you have young men and women wrongfully accused and they're doing life in prison, long-term times in prison, it's a hard thing. I'll give you an example. This is what happens a lot. Young man goes, he's, in, he's innocent. In this case, he's innocent. It's been proven a lot. He's innocent. And they say, well, you're looking at, you can take this 10 years, but if you fight the case, you can do the rest of your life in prison. Yep. But I'm innocent. I, I, I didn't do anything. Yep. And then I'm not as educated to really study and understand the fight for myself. So now I'm sitting there looking at 21 years old and I'm innocent. Going to do 10 years in prison. I didn't do anything. And now all of a sudden I get out. If I'm able to get out and you expect me to be a new man, a good man. But in most cases, I have animal instincts in me, I have rage in me. I'm violent, I'm worse off than when I went in and you expect me to, be, to function in society. And then the other part, there are no jobs and opportunities for me to function and be successful. So how do you expect me to be successful? I think what happened, we have to find a way to stop taking men out of their households yeah. because that's crippling families. You can't take fathers out of the household. We provide jobs, then they have opportunities to provide for their family. That's all they ever asked for. It's a hard, hard thing for a man to look in the mirror and be respected by his family if he can't provide for his family. It's very hard. Yeah, yeah, you man. That's I talk about that all the time, the break breaking up of the family. And another thing I wanted to touch on when you talked about voting, I think I'm learning about that as well because you know, we sometimes we get all galvanized to go vote for the president. But what people need to realize is those midterm congressional votes to fill up the seats in the House and the Senate. And then also the local voting. The local voting is what really is going to affect your day-to-day -day life. The local judge, the mayor, the alderman, all that. And so we oftentimes, uh, I can't speak for everybody, but a lot of the people I know, minorities, don't show up to those. And then when the laws are reflected that hurt us, then sometimes we want to point to, you know, the president. And he's not, he really has no say in what's going on locally, man. So that's a, that's a good point. Um, even just doing this conversation. I've, I've done details of life with 20 coaches, right? You know, ACC coaches, Big Ten coaches, all this, CEOs. Most people don't want to talk about this. They're, they're, they they want to stick to the kind of fluff stuff. You 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 told me before we even got on, Marcus, I, you know, I don't really need to talk basketball. We can talk real life. So why why is it now, because um, you, you've been more outspoken now. I saw you did an interview 
a week or so ago as well. Um, why, why, what made you speak out now? And also, do you think it's almost an obligation or the responsibility of people with your type of platform to speak up? One thing uh, I would say that slows me up a bit, I work for a university. So I'm, I'm under an umbrella of a university. So I try to respect that. I want to be respectful to that because I'm grateful for the opportunity. I want to be respectful of the space that I'm in. But, but I think what happens, uh, um, the, and, and my mom, I've, I've seen this all, you know, and, and, and let, me, let me say this and, and I'll answer that. I grew up in East St. Louis at the time, which is you know, 100% minority black community. It was a great life for me. I never experienced any negativity with police officers. I, I, my assistant basketball coach was a police officer. He comes to all our games here. I got buddies that I grew up with that are police officers. So, so it's not a case of uh, like, I hate police. That's never that. But what, what happened, my mom, we were on a Zoom call and my mom just said, and it, and it hit me because my mom, she, she's always tried to be a positive woman, even through tough times, struggles. And, and my brother spent 10 years in prison. So we, we've seen it up close. And she said, uh, she said, you know, the word sorry can't bring my son back. You know, and I think that's what happens when, when and what I try to get police officers to understand, even in this platform, when you're making that decision, and as a police officer, I'm trying to get home to be with my family. I think you have to think the same thing when you encounter a situation. I'm not telling any police officer how to do their job, but what happens is there has to be a level of compassion in doing that job. But you also have to have the mindset of a Navy SEAL to be ready to strike at any minute. So I understand that too. When you walk up and you have your hand on the handle before you encounter the person, that's already a problem. So I think we, we have to be careful in those things and making decisions. So now as a police officer, if you struggle police in certain communities, then don't police that community. There's nothing wrong with that. Because what happens is when you police a community, it's easy to say, Mike, if you don't stop, don't tell your grandmother. Well, get back home. Because yep. there's a relationship. Yep. I've been around police officers that doesn't look like me and been great guys. And I'm talking about guys that didn't know I played ball, didn't know I coached them with wonderful people. You, so, so they are out there. But what, what they have to understand, too, and Chris Rock, the comedian, he said it years ago, and I, I heard it years ago, but he talked about when he said police officers, he's talking to police officers, and they were saying, well, well, we got, we got seven out of 10 to do a great job. Well, the three that didn't do it, they, people lost lives. Now, for example, he went on to say, okay, now what if we have seven out of 10 every airplane that takes off, three of them crash? <laughs> right. I mean, that's 150 to 200 people lives lost, and, and each one of those people impact probably 30 other people. Right. So now you cripple a community. So I think, I think that is, now again, I think that is a very, very tough job. And you have to be strong mentally, psychologically, that's a very tough job. Because you lay it on the line and as a police officer, you can't flinch when adversity hit. I understand that. Right. But you have to be sound in your decision, man. You can't take lives and then you can't sit there consistently take one group of lives consistently. Those numbers don't add up. Right, right. Now you're hitting on some good stuff. This I wanted to ask you this, regardless whether we was talking about this or basketball or not. Every time I see you speaking to your doing a public speaking engagement, I, you know, Chris Hollander on your staff is my former teammate. We talk about you sometime, and he said he looks up to you like the guidance that you give and how you lead. It it, it looks like, and I know this isn't the case, but it looks like you don't have bad days. Like you show up and you are a leader. And, you know, but, you know, like with, even with me being the executive director of a Y, I have 100 staff. It's important for me to show up mentally and emotionally ready uh, 
and to be ready to give people hope, guidance, energy, right? But oftentimes when you're when, when you are that person given that, you go home and sometimes you're drained, man. It, it can be hard. So one thing I wanted to ask you is, do you have a circle of people or, or, or close people that recharge you? Or and what do you do to get recharged on, on the days where you do go home and just like, man, I ain't got nothing left in the tank? How, how do you I'll, how do you bounce I'll, back? I'll, I'll say this um, about it was about say ten years ago, um, and I, I finished reading the book, and I just said, God, I'm I'm tired, uh, I'm, I'm tired of running, and what I meant by that. It's oftentimes when I grew up, we would pray. And, I, and of course, as a kid, you follow your mom's lead. But I would pray, you know, God, uh, I'd like to get those new shoes. And not necessarily a brand, but I'd like to have, you know, a pair of pants that me and my brother don't have to wear the same pair. God, can we, you know, have enough food? You know, th- th- you would pray. To, and as you get older, those are the prayers, the prayers of fear, the prayers of doubt. And I didn't really know God, but those were the prayers and the prayers of worry. Uh, and, and, and if you know God, those two don't go hand in hand. Worry, doubt, stress, and fear do not go hand in hand with God. It's all about faith. So I got to a point where I said, God, I'm just tired of running. I'm tired of running from this assignment. I'm tired of running. So I said, God, give me your toughest assignment, whatever it is. Give me, give me that assignment. I said, and giving me that assignment, if it doesn't work out, if I fall to my knees, give me enough strength to get back up. And I also said, God, if I don't get back uh, meaning I'm no longer on this earth, then provide for the family that you gave me, that you gave me, God. And that was a hard, hard thing to do because you have to stand in that. You have to be strong yeah. in it. And oftentimes it brings me to my knees, but what happened, my faith is strong. My hope is strong. And oftentimes, even what we're going through right now, I don't walk around with what's going on in today's society and say, oh God, I'm shaking my boots. I know there's a God, I have a great relationship. And, and also he says in John 14, 14, if you ask in my name, I shall give. If you ask in my name, so we have to ask him. And I ask him stuff all the time. And I say that, and what I learned in all of that, success, this is hard. And I mean, just all walks of life. Success is oftentimes born in a scary place. We're in a scary place right now. And I think we can do a great job coming. I, I can easily hate and be angry. I can, that's, that is easy. Right. The hard part is to love. I, I committed my life to Christ, so I can't hate. I can't be angry. I, I have to find solutions because this is what he's demanded of me. And again, like he said before, I'm not so much concerned with you being happy. I'm more concerned with you being holy. And you have to stand in that. And, 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 and it can be a bumpy road, but I know he exists. So now when you say who do I lean on, I have a wonderful mother, wonderful sisters. I, I've built a great relationship with my dad over the past years. Uh, I got, we, we, have, we have a Zoom call with my family. It's like 30 of us, and we just start doing that. But, but my wife is a tremendous person, very, and, and I say this with all sincerity, the most intelligent woman, probably person I've ever been around, very intelligent woman, sound, uh, beautiful heart, got a toughness level to her from the standpoint of when hard times hit, she's helped my children understand that. Uh, she don't tell me what I want to hear, and oftentimes I don't want to hear some of the stuff she has to say, but it's, but it's real, and it's, and you have to deal with it. I, I make plenty of mistakes, but I have to give her a lot of credit because I met her as a sophomore in college, and she's taught me a lot of things. So I'd say between my wife and my mom, I've, I've, I've gained the most value and learned the most lessons. Man, that's, that's family. I, I know you're a family guy, but there, there it is, man. So the last thing I'll close with, I ask this question all the time, and I already I think you kind of hit on it all already. It's called the details of life. So I usually ask people, you know, the details of their journey 
uh, and coaching. Today, we kind of talked about the details of social equity and everything, but people who usually come on here have some level of success. So for the people who don't know, you know, you had a really good college career at Purdue, obviously been coaching at uh, Missouri State and Cal and here. So what are some of the things, do you have any daily habits or routines that you do daily to, that you feel has helped you and help contribute to your level of success? I, I just think outside of, you know, praying, uh, consistent prayer. And, and, and I think a lot of times people uh, somehow, I don't know how it happened, they think praying is weakness. Are you praying to God like it's weakness? That really gives me strength. That's uh, real strength. But I just think the, the accountability uh, to do your job, whatever it is, to the best of your ability, to do your job, to the, like, like Martin Luther King said, if, you, if you're going to be a street sweeper, be the best street sweeper and do that job so well that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do any better. So do the job to the best of your ability. And I think the other thing is, and I think this is, this is probably the hardest thing for all of us, is to tell the truth. To tell the truth, to be trustworthy. Can I rely on you? That is a hard thing for all walks of life. I can't demand that of my players that are young men when you have adults in this world that can't do that. Right. Then you have to have a level of compassion to you. You have to have a big heart to understand somebody's probably less than. All these, all these essential workers that we're leaning on right now, they have lives too. Let's applaud and appreciate their lives. Let's help those people out. And then there's a level of gratitude. I'm grateful to be in this position. They, they can replace me tomorrow. This place will keep going. Right. But they can't take my gifts. See, God gave me a gift. I'll just relocate, but I still have the gift. I just happen to work this occupation, but I have my gifts. And I think the last thing, and this is for all of us, especially people that struggle, you have to have a level of toughness to you. You have to be able to get on your knees and fall down and get back up. Get on your knees, fall down, and get back up. It's a hard, hard thing to do when tough times hit. And, 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 and when I say that, because I see my mom up close, I've seen a woman in, in some ways live almost hopeless because I, I don't know how to provide. I'm trying to provide my family, trying to make ends meet. That is a tough, tough feeling as a little kid. You're looking up and your mom trying to find a way to make a way. A hopeless feeling is a very scary place. I appreciate all the knowledge you dropped, man. And I appreciate even more that you decided that you wanted to talk about life issues instead of just basketball. You're right. Anybody can talk basketball, but, you know, all the guys I know, I mean, I know you're recruiting uh, a kid from my high school, Blake Wesley, and I talked to his dad, Derek, because uh, he's one of the all-time greats from my high school, and everybody, him, Chris Hollander, anybody that's come across with you, I've always said, man, the, the man of integrity that you are. So I appreciate that, knowing that you are guiding some of our young men, white and black, to be better men uh, in this world, man. So. There's anything I can ever do for you, Coach. You, you know I'm here in St. Louis here riding for you, and I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for having me, Marcus. Appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Coach Zoe, for that. Man, that was awesome. Man, you you welcome on this show anytime. And so thank you again for not only coming on the details of life, but also just for being the man that you are. And like I said, continuing to develop young men and to be responsible, uh, high-character men in our society. That's always the goal. If, if, if we get to go play in the NBA, great. If not, we still need to be men that are going to be good men of character, good fathers, good husbands. And thank you for leading the way on that. Or my next episode is with another really good former player, current coach right now, Damon Stoudemire. Used to be called Mighty Mouse back at Arizona. I mean, he was awesome. Electric. Had a great career in the NBA. We talked about some really good stuff. He was a part of that Portland team that had a lot of talent. I remember they their nickname was the Jailblazers for a while. They need to make a 30 for 30 on that. But we talked about all of that. 
And, you know, he's doing some really good things out of University Pacific out on the West Coast. And so I'm excited to bring him on. So, you know, this this past episode was just something impromptu. It was just something very relevant in society. So we go, we went ahead and put it out there. But we're going to go back to our normal schedule. Damon Stoudemire will be on Details of Life on Wednesday. So make sure you tune back in. You just get a little bit more content this week. These coaches are going to come in and, you know, talk about life and talk about basketball and all the details that make them successful. Because you know what? That's right. Greatness is in the details, guys. Man, thank you so much for support. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you come back Wednesday. We're going to keep growing. Like, subscribe, share, and have a great day. Peace.